Hi, this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. It's now been a few weeks since guests, to include publicists, podcasters, and bloggers, have experienced Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. What was excitement with the original announcement turned 180 degrees just months prior to the premiere of this cruise-style experience. Reviewing the reports of at least 10 who have visited we take a look at everything from the arrival to visiting uh, Batu, from the cabins to the culinary choices. Is this something you would want to do? And are you willing to pay what seems to be a very steep fee to visit? In all of this, we consider what are your choices for your money and how they stand relative to visiting the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Spoiler alert! While I have not yet personally been on this experience, I will share key components and events. If you're going to spend the money, you should know what you are and are not getting into and what is really the ultimate interactive theater experience. By the way, a little housekeeping before we get started. My apologies, it's been over a week since we have provided you our last podcast. It has just been a little bit on the crazy side, a lot of client um, responsibilities, and also a college group that came in from Illinois that uh, spent time within the parks. All at the same time, I have now moved on to a new uh, computer platform for my podcasts and videos, and so it's just been a little crazy lately. I also need to acknowledge that there are a lot of really important uh, themes and topics and issues. Last week was Disney's annual shareholder event. I wanted to talk about that, especially in light of the legislation that the Florida uh that the state of Florida has been put in play and Bob Chapek's relationship to that. And I also want to just report on some really wonderful things like Epcot's uh, Flower and Garden Festival this, this spring. Uh, lots of great stuff going on there. So please stay tuned because there will be more podcasts and a lot sooner in the days to come. So stay connected. Make sure that you have subscribed to your favorite podcast, including iTunes, Spotify, and and here at Podbean. And, and just also make sure you subscribe to DisneyAtPlay.com where you can be notified of upcoming podcasts and posts as they are uh, being made available. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I haven't had the chance to do this uh, cruise, nor was I invited, which is always a weird thing because formally, as a Disney cast member, I was the one that was hosting. And then for the first years when I was with Mouse Planet, I was invited to several of these. I, I now have my own little podcast here and I'm not at the top of the list for being invited. I suppose I know some people I could talk to, but I I think honestly um, I'm excited and interested in going on uh, this uh, cruise, quote unquote, but I'm excited about a lot of things at Disney and yet I feel like I need to give it some notice. I also will say that many people were invited to this. Disney paid their way in most every instance. Um, and I've put in uh, the in the podcast show notes on Disney at play.com a list of those who 
Um, I have listened to um, Ashley and Brian. Uh, the Diz sent first K Craig and Kylie and Denny, and then they sent um, Rhino and Fiasco. Uh, Fiasco. Coffee with Kenobi brought his family to experience it firsthand. Um, this is how we bing them. That family group experienced it. Sky Talkers, Lentesta on Jim Hill. Tom Corliss came on a first visit and then a week or so later came on a second visit, which he paid for. That was interesting. Here with the Ears um, has a very interesting review. They paid for the experience. Were part of the um, one of the first um, visits uh, to the um, Star Cruiser. And they give some important insights as to uh, their experience. And then Disney Tours Blog does a great job of not only covering it, but also discussing, and they paid for it too. Um, they discuss uh, the pros and cons, or it really does a great job of comparing it to other events. We'll talk more about that on the backside of this podcast. Let's just kind of start from not only the arrival experience, but even beforehand, reserving the experience. Let me just tell you, we talk a lot about needing a travel agent, and I certainly mention uh, David Zanola. Both he and I have talked um, at length about the Star Cruiser experience. Uh, to be honest, you're going to have to call to not only reserve, but to find out the price of that reservation on the date you are intending to visit. So it's a little complicated, made further complicated by the fact that it is there are often long waits, not because there are so many people online waiting, but because they have so few people on the back end actually taking phone calls. And you, it is a, a very involved process. That's why, again, I have to mention, if you, if you haven't got a travel agent, um, much like David's and, and Out the Door Travel, uh, you'll, be, you'll be suffering just to get to the front door of this experience. Let me talk to you about, again, I mentioned that there are spoilers here because I want to kind of look at it from a number of uh, points of view. Disney's Hollywood Studios did a massive change to their parking lot uh, prior to the pandemic and about the time that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. There used to be a dedicated entrance that came off of World Drive. It had a marquee with um, kind of a scrolling film reel with different highlights of the park. It was a beautiful entry. Um, that all went away. Um, and kind of in the space where you were driving in is now the space where you drive in to a arrive at, um, at the Star Cruiser. And what you do is you arrive at the terminal. And it's not, I got to tell you, it's not a pretty picture back there because you're seeing the backside of Batu, So you're kind of giving away the magic there. You're seeing a parking lot of what has become cast members largely, and then the parking lot where your uh, car is going to be if you're driving a car. And then you kind of come into terminal. The terminal is more of a bunker style look, which honestly kind of makes sense. It's kind of a NASA um, launch site kind of look and feel. I get all that. But at the same time, if you know, if you're looking at any given moment, you can also see that the the building where this all takes place, which is largely a hotel which with no external windows, it kind of loses the magic. 
And really, all it takes is a berm. And there is some berming there, but but they're missing a lot of berms. Also added to this experience, and many mentioned it in their reviews, is the challenge that when you are pulling in to the um, parking space, you go through a set of a pair, I believe, of security entrances. You are actually going to not park your own car if you drove, but rather you're going to drop off and valet is going to take care of your car and park it. Um, so yeah, plan on tipping. That's not included at the beginning. But here's why they're doing what they're doing. There is nothing that sets you up for um, thiefdom faster than people knowing that they have parked a car for two days and they're not going to come back or two nights and they're not going to come back to their car. So that car has got to be kind of essentially locked up big time to prevent people from coming in and trying to steal the car or steal things from the car. So uh, be aware that that's kind of the kind of at the heart of the challenge here. Um, you enter, they kind of check you in at the front and you enter the bunker. You kind of go down some long hallways before you come to, uh, what is that transition? It's an arrival pod where you board a pod that's going to take you from the terminal uh, to the ship. And um, that arrival pod experience has been likened a little bit to the initial experience when you are being hoisted up into um, the uh, uh, the ship on Rise of the Resistance. It feels a little bit like that kind of light uh, simulation kind of experience. And soon enough, and it kind of turns things around so that when your doors open, lo and behold, what have you got? Um, but you are entering into the uh, into the uh, atrium of the ship. The atrium, we're going to talk about a couple of public areas that are actually kind of quote-unquote backstage areas. The atrium is the heart of the ship. It's If you think about this as being, if you think about a three-ring circus and how things are happening in each ring, but there's always the big thing happening in the center ring, that's kind of what happens in the atrium. Yeah, there are things going on in the lounge or on the bridge and other places, but the, the key gathering place is the atrium. And core events, critical events happen in the atrium um, during your um, two-night, three-day stay. So that is a pivot, and it's a beautiful, uh, unlike much of Star Wars, which has this kind of, kind of used look uh, to it, this is um, beautiful, like the casino in one of the Star Wars movies, or I'm thinking um, Solo and the lounge kind of area that uh, Hans goes to uh, on that ship, on the upper deck of that ship. And, and it has that very kind of deco, a um, lot of white uh, being used in the area, a lot of gold. It has a very uh, clean look to it. And it is the centerpiece of all the action. And you end up spending a lot of time there. Additionally, there are other key areas that play a, a part of this experience. The bridge is where we fly the ship and where you receive operations training and you get to participate actively. Kind of similar, to, think about a very, very, very large simulator, similar to Millennium Falcon. Lots of buttons to push. It's more intricate than the buttons, 
this is the the bridge was one of the things that got the most um, criticism in some of the media that came out about uh, two months prior to the opening. It looked it looked simplistic. It didn't look Star Warsy enough. That type of thing. However, most individuals have have fairly enjoyed their experience on the bridge, and uh, and found it to be. Uh, an entertaining portion of their experience. There's an engineering room, got to take care of the pipes and the wires and that type of thing. And there are some activities and exercises, again, more switches and buttons and things to push. And, uh, but there are also uh, story events that happen here as well as at the bridge and in the atrium. An unusual little room sits off to the side. It's called the climate simulation room. For those who are kind of tired, one of the challenges, again, a little spoiler reserve, you're essentially in a confined building with no windows and no doors. And you're doing this for two nights and uh, the better part of three days. And so there comes a point where you kind of want a little bit of sunshine, perhaps. And so they have this little climate simulation room where you go in and get a little bit of sunshine coming through a false ceiling. And, uh, and feel like you're outside a little bit. Um, other than going to Batu, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, that's really one of the only critical times that you have uh, an opportunity to really um, be a part of being outside. There's a lightsaber training pod. That too has been um, debated back and forth. How really simulated would it be? I have to say that um nobody dismissed it and nobody said this is the most amazing thing i got to go back and do it it was just simply a part of the experience it almost looks like some kind of activity that will belong in interventions only its theme to star wars and then there's also a cargo hold building room as well some of these like engineering and a cargo hold they're technically backstage, but um, but you kind of end up in these spaces because certain key story events happen. By the way, on the uh, on the um, um, posts that we have uh, at Disney at Play, you could see maps as shown on the uh, on your um, a data device. And uh, they give you a sense of how all of this plays out. Plus, of course, then there are the cabins and the rooms. There are three kinds of cabins. Mostly are just a standard cabin. That's probably the one you've seen the image of most. There are first-class cabins, which are bigger. And then there are captain cabins, the two of those. I think about uh, six first-class cabins and then about two captain's cabins. Uh, it has that orange and white look and feel that just... I think speaks a lot to Star Wars um, and to that era. So I really quite like it. Um, everyone talked about the bunks. Everybody climbed into the bunks and tried the bunks and everybody was surprised that the bunks were as spacious as they were. And I found that to be kind of a cool little feature. Uh, so I think one person even said they've got to figure out how to put a bunk in their bedroom, uh, one of the in one of the bedrooms of their house. There's also a big portal window into space. 
Um, and this allows you to kind of, instead of a window looking the parking lot or the lake or whatever scenic element you might be at when you're in a hotel, this portal window looks out at the nearby planets or the nearby ships that are in the area. And they, um, and that's kind of cool because you get a, you, it just adds to that feeling that you are indeed in space. Some talked about the fact that they liked the idea of, and I am guilty of this when I am in a hotel. I like to sleep and wake up, sleep with the curtains open and wake up to the light coming in uh, to the room. People kind of wanted to do that. I mean, they paid a premium to do this. They kind of wanted to fall asleep to the um, looking out into space. It's a little difficult because there's kind of a ring of white light around it and it kind of lightens up the room too much when you turn, even with the lights off. So uh, so some people have struggled with that. In fact, most people struggled with that. The last thing I should mention about the cabins, I mean, everything else is, again, it's more a cabin akin to a cruise ship than a cabin, uh, than a hotel room in terms of space. Most people acknowledge that, but the, most people also say that the photos showed that, hey, you know, this isn't, this isn't as small as it looks in the pictures. The other thing that is um, a fascinating part, I think, of this entire experience is a monitor, which when you um, connect into it, you uh, have a chance to interact with Droid D309. And she, um, she uh, is a complete droid and um, is really the best thing that Disney has right now in terms of artificial intelligence. If you've listened to some of my previous podcasts dealing with the metaverse and with um, high-touch, high-tech, this is a pretty cool droid. I have seen some video on this, and you know how you talk to something in AI and they just not picking up on you. I have to say this one's picking up on you pretty good. It's also apparently or supposedly gathering data. Gathering data, particularly around your allegiance to the First Order or your allegiance to the Resistance. And I think that is part of what is feeding into uh, your experience while on the ship. Dining tastes are always unique to an individual, but I don't think I remember anyone in all of these reviews that had anything really negative to say about the dining experience. And in fact, some of the biggest critics were big on the quality of the food. It is unusual. You've probably seen images of the blue shrimp and there are some unusual uh, approaches to taking what is standard cuisine and making it look very, very different by the time it, it arrives on your plate. The Crown of Corellia dining room is where uh, most of your dining experiences occur. It becomes a buffet uh, kind of experience in the mornings and afternoon and lunchtime, and at nighttime it becomes more of a formal service a family uh, style dining in the evening. It has uh, a daytime and nighttime look and feel to it. So it's quite bright and cafeteria almost looking uh, during the daytime, but at night it, it is quite um, uh, quite beautiful and, and intimate and, 
and food is constantly being served. If there is one thing everybody said is you will not go without eating food. Like being on a cruise ship, there is something, uh, even 24-7 you can get all the uh, blue and green milk you can possibly drink. Uh, add to that, there is entertainment by um, an artist and a character known as Gaia. Uh, she plays a role in how the story uh, unfolds here. And then there's also, uh, beyond the dining room, there's the sublight lounge, which, of course, has a very um, uh, cosmic-looking bar similar to, to the one in, in Batu. Uh, but it also uh, is a place where you can gather around the table and play a holographic version of Sabacc. And people loved that and got into it. In fact, if there was anything kind of mentioned, it was their disappointment there was only one table to do that. It seemed like there was a lot of interest in playing. And some people were up until a very late hour of the evening just enjoying the amenities of that lounge, along with the food that seemed to continue on way into the early hours of the morning. So food... Food seemed to be a huge plus in this experience as they went through. Um, you are given on Batu a, a coupon to go eat there, um, whether it's Oga's or whether it's uh, Docking Bay 7 or whatever. But uh, it seemed to me that people, a lot of people held on to that, a coupon, so to speak, and went back to the ship to eat uh, there because everything was so unique and and interesting. By the way, we should talk about the crew of the Halcyon uh, and those on board the ship. There is Captain Rayola Keevan. She is just like a captain of a ship, responsible and authoritarian, and um, has is running the operations of this ship. She is supported by others like cruise director Len Kamok. Um, Sammy, the mechanic, uh, plays a role. Um, and there's a wonderful little R2-style astromech droid, uh, SK-620. He's buzzing around, doing his own thing. Um, Gaia, which I mentioned, the entertainer, singer, performs in the evenings. And then a unique uh, alien-type creature, Wani. She she's, uh, ha is a cute kind of alien and fun, and, and a lot of people kind of fell in love with her. And uh, by the way, there are some folks from the First Order, to include Lieutenant Harmon Croy. He brings along some star uh, uh, stormtroopers as part of his uh, ascent to the ship. He ends up joining the crews to keep an eye on things because, behold, it appears that the crew, the ship's itinerary is similar to... Um, difficulties and issues that they are currently having with the resistance. It's the same itinerary that the resistance seems to be running. So could there be something uh, on, uh, wrong happening on the ship and so forth? And he is introduced very early on in the, uh, in the unfolding of this story and seems to be a, a really, uh, um, obviously he's the bad guy, but he has kind of a, a funny... Uh, wit to him that seems uh, quite uh, enjoyable. Um, and of course, what I have mentioned is some people like Chewie and Ray and even Kylo Ren. 
And in fact, that becomes a a key moment uh, in the conclusion of the entire story. I'm not trying to give everything away, but just to say, you will see very familiar characters from the more recent Star Wars movies that will be part of this experience when you are visiting um, the Halcyon. There is a Chandrilla gift shop with exclusive merchandise. It's not huge, but and and there are some lower-end items, but there's also some very exclusive high-end pieces, uh, lightsabers and so forth that you can only get, theoretically, now people were saying that with Galaxy's Edge merchandise, but but they are saying that this is very, very exclusive merchandise. By the way, you're also given a magic band, unique to the experience for opening your room and doing the kinds of things that magic bands do at resort hotels. And you are given, or let me just say, the first groups were given data pads, i.e. they were given mobile phone devices with the data pad loaded. Now, data pad is part of the Play Disney experience. And as such, um, it is used not only on Batuu, but it is used while you are on the ship. It's kind of letting you know, it's sending you messages um, based on where you're uh, where you, whether you are for the resistance or for the first order, it's sending you key messages along the way, where to go, what to do, what to look for, um, uh, things to help out your cause, uh, all the way through the experience. So the data pad plays a big role. It's not too intrusive to the experience, but it is your guide to the experience. And uh, I think probably they are having some issues with, okay, how do we get rid of the data pad on your system or keep it so you can't use that data pad software once you're off the ship? I think there's some issues that they're working software-wise that will eventually allow people to to be able to have their own or use their own um, mobile device, which I'm sure is what Disney wants to do and where they want to go on this. But for some people, they don't, that don't even have a mobile device, can't imagine who you are that you can afford this uh, event, not afford your $1,000 Apple uh, phone, iPhone, but notwithstanding, there are some and they are willing to give you a free data pad. Let's talk about how that data pad works, for instance, when we visit Batu. The morning, uh, the, the, uh, after the first night, the next morning, you are going to be given an opportunity to visit Batu or Galaxy's Edge at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Remember what I said earlier, it's kind of right around the corner. How do you get there and back? Well, you go down a particular hallway like you are boarding a plane, but here you are boarding a Batu transport. A lot of talk has been out there about what this is. When I originally thought about what it would be, I, I remembered that... Um, Dulles Airport in Washington, before they had the underground uh, trains that took you out to the terminals, they used to have these big trucks with big wheels and they would carry you from one terminal to another on these big trucks. I figured that it would be something like that that would be enclosed. As it stands, it sounds more like a, a just a regular truck, um, but you are enclosed. It is highly themed 
And it is intended to give you the idea that you are shuttling in space down to the planet Batu, where you get off in an area that's not very far from Kylo Ren's ship and uh, in Galaxy's Edge. Um, there you are given certain activities to carry out. And in Lentesta's view, those activities were, were not only important, they were critical to experiences you were going to have later when you got back on the ship. It remains to be seen whether that's the case or not. Um, but it certainly was for Lentesta. Um, what we do know is that you are given a complimentary access to Rise of the Resistance and also to the Millennium Falcon. Uh, you're given, as I mentioned earlier, a coupon to eat while you are there. Um, and you go about doing these data pad kind of exercises while you are on the planet. I myself have always had some mixed feelings about this particular experience. Mind you, I was an individual, or I am an individual who's had the chance to visit Galaxy's Edge many, many times, and I've yet to visit the Star Cruiser. So my inclination is I'd want to spend every moment on the Star Cruiser. Why uh, Lentesta thought this was a valuable experience is because he ended up having or receiving some data through the data pad, information in the data pad about a holocron. And apparently his ability to have found that while he was out and about on Batu led to an experience later on the ship where he was basically told, hey, I understand you found the holocron. You know, we want to thank you. Come with me. And he was led into a very um, intimate experience with only a few others in which they had a chance to visit Ray. And I believe that they had a chance to open up this holocron and to have the light beam from it or whatever would come of that. He ended up being at a chef's table that night, which he also mentioned, by the way, it was only a $30 extra. Um pretty cheap for considering the price of the entire trip. But anyway, he's at this chef's table and talking about the experience and realized that many others did not have that experience. And he wondered if, if he had not found this uh, key piece of information and unlocked these clues on, uh, on Batu, whether he would have had the experience later on. Now, that said, other podcasters had the opportunity to meet with Ray and experience this holocron uh, moment. It, it's basically a very glorified meet and greet. And I would suppose, though, I haven't heard anybody say it, but I assume there's another room doing uh, the same with Kylo Ren in the event that you have gone with, uh, with, uh, uh, with the uh, First Order. any rate... Long and short is those individuals did not find those clues or was were led to those particular clues on Batu, And as a result, uh, it didn't seem to make a difference. They were just pulled over and said, hey, I understand you're with the, with the resistance. Come with us. And that gave them the experience of seeing, of having that kind of meet and greet with Ray. I'll also say that uh, some time ago, I spent... 
I'd say about two or three days. I'd say about an hour to two hours apiece. Taking that data pad and going through um, a number of experiences in Galaxy's Edge and trying to, to actually prepare a podcast that would be about how to use your data pad or what, you know, what are the cool things about using your data pad in Galaxy's Edge. And I got to tell you, I went through so many rabbit holes in that experience. I found very little that was really, it just seemed like a lot of detail about nothing. And um, I just really, I found it meaningless. And as a consequence, I never did do a podcast around that. I think, so there my, and again, also I heard, I think Tom Corliss talked about how in his first trip, he was in the first ship over and he got right onto Gal uh, Batu and right back. But then on the second trip, he ended up in a 9.30 or nine o'clock um, move and ended up having to wait a long time for the next available uh, Batu transport vehicle to come over. And I tell you, that would frustrate me to have to sit around waiting for that truck to pick me up for lack of a better term. So I'm not sure, and, and again, I visited about two. By the way, there was one, and I can't remember which podcast it was, but there was one, it may have been Sky Talkers. I can't remember. There was one who, or maybe it was an individual who I think was on Coffee with Kenobi. He actually was from the UK, and it was his first experience in Batu, and he, along with his kids, were able to experience that on the Star Cruiser. So they had never seen it before until they got there. So I would say, if you've never been to Batu, the coolest thing you could probably do is see it via the Star Cruiser experience because it would feel like such a complete, um, total immersive experience. And then maybe come back another couple of days to spend some more time in it. Also, uh, my friend and colleague, Brian gave a great ex idea. To me, I think you need more reasons to be in Batu, And I think one thing that would be very cool, imagine if you had the Millennium Falcon um, Smuggler's Run experience, where when you ran your band, it introduced you into a simulation experience where you went up with the Millennium Falcon to go do the run, the smugglers run, but on the way there, you see the ship and you, the Halcyon, and you defend it from, from um, um, the First Order who is attacking it. Imagine how fun that would be and how unique that experience would be for only those. That would tell me that that was worth the price because otherwise I feel like you've just wasted a time where I could have spent a hundred plus dollars on a regular ticket and go to the Batu, spend the whole day, and I, I, I'm just trying to find value off of that. I'm not saying everybody poo-pooed the experience on Batu, but nobody made a persuading argument, with the exception of Lentesta, who thought he was getting a, a unique Holocron experience because he came down. I didn't see anybody else really benefit that greatly or make a great case for why you want to go to Batu uh, when you have a unique one-of-a-kind experience in uh, on the Halcyon. Now, let me talk about participation. 
There are Disney fans who want to experience all the details. They love the little details of Disney and they love to see it come alive. Clearly, they're going to be participating at some level, but not at the same level as the Star Wars fan. The Star Wars fan is the ultimate audience for this experience. At least if you are, now there are some, oh, there are some Star Wars fans that don't like anything that's happened past um, episode six. So um, with maybe the exception of um, uh, the baby Yoda, um, Mandalorian experience. But um, for those who just love Star Wars, you're going to love this experience. Star Wars fans who reviewed this love the experience. I did not hear any Star Wars fans say, oh yeah, they, they don't have any clue about Star Wars. They don't get it. It doesn't make sense. The way they've done it, no. They saw the details of Star Wars on that ship and they they enjoyed it. Also, what was interesting is that the casual observer or maybe spousal supporter of the one who really wanted to do this activity, they themselves seem to really enjoy it. Um, they themselves all said it was worth it. Did they say they would do it again? Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. But they but they did say they absolutely enjoyed it. The Disney fan thought, um, the Disney fan thought this what lived up or surpassed Disney expectations and what you find in an attraction. Star Wars fans found the same, and the casual observer supporter um, couldn't help but like it. All of them said, similar to what they've always said in this this idea of live your own adventure uh, in Galaxy's Edge, all of them said that while you don't have to dress up to do this, you know, you could be in a casual pair of jeans and a t-shirt. It was fun to dress up and they were glad to dress up and they highly recommended dressing up because it helped you to become part. They also talked at great length about how you will want to do this if you're the kind of person who likes to participate actively or who is at least willing to participate. There are some who in that kind of high-end interactive theatrical experience is going to probably be stressed out by having to participate. I'm not saying you can't sit on a couch in a corner and observe. I'm saying that most of those who went through this experience will say that while you can do that, it's not as, as much worth the money doing it. So, so if you really want to get value, if you want to walk away saying that was worth the price I paid, you need to live your own departure or, or your, your own adventure. Now, um, ultimately, this comes to a climax on the second night. There is an incredible... Uh, battle between Kylo Ren and Rey, and it is in the same level of choreography. And um, um, I just think of Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. It is a stunt show in and of itself that takes place on the upper uh, the upper floor of the atrium. 
and maybe you don't want to watch videos of that because it's going to give away, but I have, and I got to tell you, it's impressive. They have done a really good job of creating a finale that's pretty impressive. And so um, that kind of brings you to the climax of the experience. The next morning, they feed you breakfast. And then actually you can have a chance. They even give you food to kind of take away with you as you leave if you want that option instead. Um, you come back down in the pod uh, as you prepare to leave the terminal. As Disney is wont to do with gift shops at the exit, they have another gift shop. But this gift shop actually offers, from what I could tell, more t-shirts, more tourist kinds of things to say I was there, which you wouldn't have if you were actually part of that cruise in the way that that cruise, you know, it, that kind of thing. So it is a very different merchandise line by in and of itself. And you head off to your next adventure. Now, that's a little bit of a problem, too, because from what I understand, if your next adventure is to go to another Disney hotel to enjoy a few days in the parks, I don't know that they make a connection other than sending you to Disney Springs and then beyond. You may have to get an Uber. I'm not really covering the logistics of travel. Again, you're going to want to go with your travel agent on all of this. What I do want to say is that... Um, in listening to all of the reviews, I was listening to how many were intent on returning. Intent to return is ultimately the sign that says this was that good. Almost all of them said they'd like to return. Tom Corliss actually did return, although he made the reservation, as I understand it, in advance of the first one. So it wasn't driven by the experience other than he just, that's what he does for a living. And so he made, he wanted to see it a couple of times and he made more than one reservation. I think he's going back again and he is wanting to go back again in May. That is a good sign. Everybody seems to want to go back. Are they willing to pay to go back? And is Disney going to keep this thing filled? It's not a big hotel. If you think of it as a hotel or a cruise liner, as you think of it as a cruise liner, there aren't that many rooms. But it's a big price and you've got to be able to fill it in order to meet your business model. And what I'm thinking, what I think they need to do, and I think this would guarantee filling it. I think they're waiting to kind of see where it goes, how many people will return to it soon. But on the Disney Cruise Line, one of the most brilliant things they do on that ship is they say, book, and we'll give you, I believe it is 10% off on your next cruise. But to it, you used to actually be able to say what your itinerary was because of the pandemic. It's really just put 250 down and it'll be applied toward your next cruise, which you will get 10% off of. I think they need to do that intent to return effort because that's going to measure whether people intend to return. And I think if they're given a 10% discount, they will be more likely to sign the bottom line. By the way, if you really truly want to make sure that you're filling that ship, what I would be doing to all Disney Cruise Line passengers is put 250 down and you can apply it not only to a future Disney Cruise experience, but to a 
um, to a Star Wars Halcyon experience. I think that would open up and make people a lot more amenable if they were just given 10% off. That 10% off would at least allow people to say, hey, I'm getting something if I book now, so let's go ahead and book. And and by the way, if we decide we don't want to do the, uh, the Halcyon, we can still go on a Disney cruise ship or vice versa and so forth. So I think that Disney needs to make this part of a portfolio and to take advantage of people um, by getting them to book a, a cruise when they are in the spirit of having had a really great experience. You know, the long and short of it is, is they're just, with all of the negative publicity that was given to this project just weeks before it opened, and frankly, I was one of the naysayers in the sense of the price, people seem to have walked away feeling very positive. Again, how many have actually booked a trip? Hmm, not quite so many. But, and most of the people you're going to listen to are people who got it for free, which makes them kind of ineligible to, to contribute to the is it worth it conversation. But for most people who are, you know, this isn't, this isn't my primary business. For, for people whose primary business is doing podcasts and blogs and so forth, many of them really can't afford to put their own nickel and dime. Some do. But many can't. Um, and so they wouldn't have even reviewed it if they hadn't, if Disney hadn't given them the chance. And frankly, I thought it was a little gutsy that Disney invited people to come and review because there were a lot of critics um, just a couple of months ago. And yet, by and large, people have given very, very, very positive reviews. Now, Tom Bricker in his um in his post again I have it the Disney Tourist blog did a better job than I did I would have done in comparing it to different Disney experiences. Um Lent Testa kind of compared it to well well he kind of prioritized said well would you go on it? Well, if you haven't seen the country, if you haven't seen the United States, you ought to do that first, you know. I, I don't disagree with that, but it's an apple-orange comparison. I think the better comparison is, is would you do this in comparison to doing blank, i.e. the Disney Wish when it comes in the summer, which, by the way, I think when the Disney Wish comes out and when all these same people get a chance to go on there for free, there will be no talk about this um, galactic star cruiser because the focus will be on that. And I think if you compare it, now Tom Bricker has been to Tokyo Disney, I believe. Yeah, I'm almost absolutely certain of it. He compares it to a week in Tokyo Disney. And um, yeah, I, as somebody who has been to Tokyo Disney, I there is no way that two nights here is worth a week at Tokyo Disney Resort with all that they have. Now that said and done, is it something ought to be on your bucket list? Probably. Is it going to be repeatedly on your bucket list? I'm not so certain. People did acknowledge that it was more repeatable or they had the potential for being repeatable than they thought. Most people said there is more to do in this stay than um, 
than than you have time to do. And in fact, all of them would would say that they were exhausted by the end of the experience. So if you're booking this, you're definitely going to want to put the Disney Cruise Line on the backside of it if you truly have money, because you're going to need a vacation from your vacation, or at least a good day at, at Typhoon Lagoon to kind of rest. Um, it's just the reality of it is, is that there are a lot of really great things to do at Disney. Imagine spending uh, an entire week at Disney's Polynesian um, Resort in you know, in an upscale suite there. I mean, these are the kinds of pricing options you have when you are spending that kind of money. A cruise line, Adventures by Disney is is a pretty comparable thing. I, you know, you could go on a Disney cruise line along the Mediterranean. Um, just so many choices. That's the challenge. Is There is a lot of great Disney out there. Are you willing to go on it now? when the price is what it is. Now, maybe the price will only continue going up. That is Disney's trend. But if people stop coming, Disney's gonna have to package. And there's a lot of different ways to package. Besides what I said about offering a discount, they could package it with a four-night stay at Caribbean Beach or at Riviera. And there's a lot of ways Disney, Disney will sell this experience. And Disney has created an experience that's worth going to. It's just getting that price point right and keeping that demand up and going. Well, that does it for our uh, Disney Play podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me. I hope this has been informative. Are you planning on going on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser? Is that something you're going to do in the future? You, you, you find that out for yourself, but know this podcast has been dedicated to you in trying to make that decision at some future point. And by the way, would you mind, uh, if you like what you're getting in these podcasts, go ahead and go to iTunes and give it a positive rating or even a review if possible. And by the way, visit the Disney Wayfinder Society. You'll see a link on disneyatplay.com. This is where you can have more uh, exciting interactive experiences with Disney, best in business ideas, as well as just great things that we as, as uh, lovers of all things Disney enjoy. So check that out as well. Again, thanks for joining us. As always, follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.